0: Okay, Nathan. Yo, what's up? Hey. So I, I'm gonna tell you. I waited to tell you this uh, for the introduction, and also so I could tell our invested listening public that I have now watched the first episode of the Last of Us TV series. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was very faithful to the game of which I'm a big fan. Um, but the stuff that they did add or the stuff that they compressed, I thought it all made sense for, uh, a TV show. And I'm really excited to see where they go with this. I was a bit skeptical, I have to admit, of Pedro Pascal as Joel, but I think he, he absolutely nailed, uh, the role. Belle Ramsey is great as Ellie as well. I, uh, I've never seen Game of Thrones, so I had no, uh, opinion on her going in. And yeah, I'm, uh. I'm really excited about this, and I wanted to give my thoughts because, of course, everyone really wants to know my thoughts on these things. Yeah. But also, I wanted to know, Nathan, what do you think is your favorite or the best video game adaptation that you've that you've seen?
1: I don't. I feel like I avoid video game adaptations because, like, I haven't seen Sonic. I didn't see the Assassin's Creed movie that came out a while ago. Probably. Um, Probably Castlevania, I guess. The show, the Netflix show, Castlevania. I'm not like a huge... I've never played a Castlevania game, but I think that... I haven't watched all of the show also, so I guess this isn't a great... (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the best person to be uh, championing the show, but what I did watch of the show, I really enjoyed. So, yeah, probably Castlevania, I think. Besides that, I did we watched Warcraft and I never played World of Warcraft. I was like mild I was mildly entertained by it.
0: Pretty sure I would hate that movie if I rewatched it.
1: (laughs) Oh don't rewatch it then.
0: (laughs) Maintain the illusion. No, that's that's pretty much my answer as well. I have seen all of Castlevania and I I dislike season three, but I think they, they bring it back around for season four. Uh, i too really like that show i too have not seen or i too have not played any castlevania games but i think that there's a there's a pretty good chance that the last of us will supplant that because obviously i have uh much more attachment to the the source material but yeah it's good if you have if you have played the game i would say you should absolutely watch the show if you haven't uh, and you do like post-apocalyptic zombie-type fiction, I would say you should you should give it a whirl and then play the game.
1: Well, I'm sure my favorite uh, video game movie is going to be supplanted by Mario when it comes out.
0: Oh, shut up.
1: <laughs> or when uh, the guy who did Kong Skull Island, I can't remember his name, but whenever he does... Uh... Whenever he finishes his Metal Gear Solid movie, that'll be that'll oh. be the one.
0: <laughs> oh. oh, it pains me. It pains me. I can't imagine a more appalling combination of terrible director and terrible source material. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Metal Gear fans. I know there's a lot of you, but I really dislike that series
1: and no accounting for taste. Uh, speaking of no yep. accounting for taste, we since we're we're going to be trying to burn bridges, uh we're doing pulp fiction today.
0: That's so. right. We've uh we've alienated Martin Scorsese fans by not loving uh Goodfellas. We you've alienated Spielberg fans by being fairly lukewarm on Spielberg. Uh so the the logical next step is to alienate Tarantino fans by well, w- we'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I guess a little brief introduction if you're not familiar with Pulp Fiction, which would be kind of crazy because I think this movie is fairly ubiquitous in pop culture and just culture in general. But it's uh, 94, Quentin Tarantino, iconic modern-day director. A lot of people love him. Uh, I think it's his second movie, right? Right after Reservoir Dogs, he did this, I want to say. Yeah. His second movie, wildly popular, wildly successful, nominated for a whole host of uh, Academy Awards. If you're not familiar, 1994 was a stacked year for the Academy Awards, so he didn't win anything other than Best Original Screenplay because that was the year Forrest Gump came out and Shawshank Redemption. So it was a stacked year. But Pulp Fiction, considered one of the greatest uh, films of all time by people with Pulp Fiction posters in their college dorm room. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think it's considered a touchstone of cinema. So uh, we're, we're cinephiles. We're, we love cinema. So we ch- we checked it out. We're bringing our opinions to you. So, Elliot, <laughs> uh, let's start with you. How many times have you seen this movie? And, uh, you know, what's kind of your experience with it?
0: Oh my gosh, I, Quentin Tarantino, man, Pulp Fiction, blah, 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 dialogue, blah, blah, feet, blah, blah, I recommend, B-minus, I recommend The Departed, Life is hard and Full of Disappointments, let's pack it up.
1: All right, well, if you're wondering why this episode took so long to uh, (laughs) be released, I really had to twist Elliot's arm to do this. Elliot, you don't like Tarantino. You're not a fan no. of his films, no. or really, I get the sense I'm of also a human being.
0: That's what I was going to say. I also not a fan of him as a person.
1: Well, I don't know him personally, so I'm not going to make any statements as to the quality of him as a human being. But I don't know uh, him personally either. Gotta,
0: but given the things that I've heard about him, whew, not a great fellow.
1: Whatever, 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 whatever. We're putting aside. We're just gonna we're gonna talk about the movie. So, Elliot, this is the second time you've seen this film, right?
0: No, this is, like, the fourth time I've seen this film.
1: What the
0: fuck? Why? (laughs) Well, I'm going to be honest here. This used to be my favorite Tarantino movie. Uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of them. I've seen Pulp Fiction, Django Unchained, Inglorious, you know, the other word, Um, (laughs) and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And yeah, for a while I did I did really like this movie. I think I saw it first when I was in high school. Then I watched it a few more times. Uh, since then, I have cooled on Tarantino in general and this movie specifically. Nowadays, I I think that easily my favorite of his is Django Unchained. Although even that I have some some problems with. Um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is absolutely atrocious, uh, as we both know. Oh, as we, we both know. know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah so i have seen this i have seen this a fair f- a fair few times
1: well because i've only seen this twice like i watched it i want to say i also watched it in high school or when i was just kind of trying to watch the classics i guess and so i think i came upon pulp fiction fairly early in really getting into movies um, and I hadn't seen it since then, so I was kind of excited. I was interested to see how I would feel on rewatch because I think I like Tarantino more than you, but I am also somewhat skeptical of him in general. So I was, I was, I was interested to see how I felt uh, rewatching the movie.
0: I, I, I'll admit that I liked this more than I was expecting to. It's been a while since I've seen this movie. I uh, The last time I saw it was probably the time where I decided, oh, this, this, this movie isn't as good as I thought it was initially. But I did... It's definitely entertaining. Uh, all questions of objective quality aside, this is an entertaining movie right here. Tarantino's obviously most well-known for his dialogue. Personally, I think that... He, he gets very self-indulgent at times. And also, everyone talks very similar to each other, which can make characters feel very indistinct. But, you know, I'm human. I like the snappy, fast delivery. I like the sharp wit that everyone has. You know, the the M.A.S.H. style quips and comebacks and, and whatnot. I, I think that Tarantino is a... a a decent writer and yeah i think that this movie is like the quintessential that's a little quentin pun for you right there uh tarantino movie uh above among all others i think that this one is most tarantino-y it's very yeah well, like it says in the in the beginning when it gives you the definition of pulp, it's very lurid. Uh, it's very ostentatious. Um, there's, there's violence and swearing, and Tarantino insists on giving himself cameos despite the fact that he has the acting ability of a middle schooler. And yeah, it's just everything Tarantino is present and correct in this movie.
1: Yeah. So I guess to dive in, I feel kind of similarly to you about this i think for better or worse this is one of the most tarantino movies that he's made so i guess to begin let's try and go through maybe we'll do it maybe a bit like ballad of buster scruggs so this movie is split up in a non-linear fashion for
0: reasons unknown
1: well you know it's got to be somewhat (laughs) interesting i guess uh but there's what, three, four, four main sections. Four. Um, there's kind of a, yeah, there's four main sections and then two, like a beginning scene and a tag scene, sort of. Uh, so let's go through the four sections, right? Starting with the first one, this is my favorite one where Jules and Vincent go to get the briefcase from some kids who have stolen it. For my money, this is the best... You're making a face. I don't know why.
0: It's because I'm I'm struggling mightily to remember the other sections.
1: Well, don't worry. I remember them, so you won't have to worry. Um, But this is my favorite section by a long stretch. I think it is the best... Like you said, Tarantino is known for his dialogue. And I think this is the best example of his dialogue being funny and quotable and like at least mildly interesting i think usually my issues with his dialogue is it's just people talking about nothing which can sometimes be interesting if they're saying like interesting things about nothing but i think sometimes it veers more into just like vacuous statements with no deeper thought behind it but i really i really like the opening this first section i think Samuel L. Jackson is funny. I even like Travolta in it, as well as – oh, shoot. Phil Lamar is uh, the kid that they pick up.
0: Marvin is his name.
1: Marvin. Yes. And Phil Lamar, I don't think he talks a lot in the movie, but he is very well known as the cartoon voice to a whole host of cartoon characters, like Samurai Jack and – Really? John Stewart. Yeah. John Stewart Green Lantern. He does a lot of voices. Martian Manhunter, I think, in more than a few things.
0: Wow. That's crazy. That, uh, yeah. remember, that, remember that Justice League show we used to watch? Was he Martian Manhunter yeah. on that?
1: I think he was, yes.
0: I love that show. That show's awesome.
1: Okay. Well, uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? <laughs> What do you think of the first section, this first piece?
0: Uh, yeah, I like it. I like it quite a bit. I didn't really... To be honest, I am I was not expecting you to approach it this way by breaking it up into sections because for reasons that will become clear over the course of this episode, I don't think that splitting it up into sections does the movie any favors. I really just think of it as, as a whole, as one thing. It's just... Because it's just the one section, right? It's just the one section with the wolf, and then at the them at the diner that gets cut out and then stitched onto the end. Because that's the only thing that makes it non linear. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll get into that as the as the episode progresses. I agree with you. I, I like this quite a lot. I think that Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta have great chemistry in this movie. I think that. They are the best parts of it. I love their conversations and the way they play off of each other. I really like Samuel L. Jackson's performance uh, in this movie and Travolta's to a lesser extent. But yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, I believe, was nominated for Best Actor here. Uh, The only time that he's been... Huh?
1: Supporting Actor.
0: Best Supporting Actor. Um, I would say he definitely... I don't think he won, but if he had, I would have no problems with that. Yeah, Nathan's shaking his head. Uh, Yeah, it introduces the briefcase, which is iconic for reasons that I don't quite understand. Um, And yeah, Nathan, do you think that the world is ready to hear our impression of Samuel L. Jackson saying, Check out the big brain on Brett. You don't? (laughs)
1: Check out the big brain on bread. Uh, not
0: bad. Okay, all right, all right, here we go. <clears throat> I have to find it within myself. <laughs> Shush! <laughs> Check out the big brain on bread!
1: <laughs> well, that was. <laughs> That was really loud, so the distortion is going to make it sound funky,
0: regardless. Uh, well, just just know, listeners, that it was it was pitch perfect. It sounded like yeah, Samuel L. Jackson had come in to to re- reprise his role just for that section.
1: Yeah, but I I love I just love the dialogue in this, and I I, I genuinely really like how this scene is shot as well. I love all the shots of him talking to Brett with Vincent in the background. I just think it's a really good way of keeping like Vincent and the ever present understanding that, right. They're going to shoot these people eventually that keeping Vincent in the background is just a really neat way of, I think, keeping him in your mind, even though Jules is the one doing most of the talking and, Just everything he says in this scene is so funny. To asking about the burger and eating it, he's like, This is a great burger. (laughs) The drinking and then the yelling about what is is so (laughs) funny.
0: I do like that. And I, I think that it it does it's it does a really good job of setting up Jules and Vincent as Not necessarily characters, because neither of them have really in-depth characters. I mean, maybe Jules with his little, uh, quote-unquote, redemption arc. I'm I'm skeptical of that, but we'll talk about that. But setting them up as personalities, you know, uh, the different ways that they approach things. Obviously, in this, Vincent is much more reserved. He's uh, willing to let Jules do all the talking. And Jules is much more theatrical and bombastic, and Samuel L. Jackson's he's playing it up really well. I, I I really like the moment where he's talking to Brett and he just casually shoots the guy on the couch. I think that 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 does a really good job of uh, you know, making him seem intimidating and uh but also very laid back and charismatic. And uh, yeah, that I, I do like the scene this section quite a bit. My only problem with it is that it, you know, fades to black abruptly and then we have the there's the bit that's been cut out and then we cut to uh vincent and jules at the at the bar well not they get at the bar but we cut to marcellus talking to butch about throwing the fight and um that's pride that's pride messing with you yeah that's my impression of marcellus it's not it's not very good
1: great great, great impression yeah Uh so yeah, there's a fade to black and then there's a cut and then we get into the second section, which is Vincent taking Marcellus's wife on a date or taking her out.
0: Yeah, I don't understand why, by the way. But also, I just want to say that <laughs> for some reason, I really enjoyed in the interim section when they do go see Marcellus, for some reason, I found Paul's line <laughs> when he's talking to Vincent about Taking Marcellus's wife out, uh, and I think he makes some implication that Vincent denies insistently, and Paul says, "My name's Paul, and this is between y'all." <laughs> I just found that really funny. I don't. My know, name's Paul. And this is between y'all. <laughs> this is
1: between y'all. Yeah. So the second section. Uh, I do not as enjoy it as much, but I was kind of surprised by how much I still enjoyed this. I like Uma Thurman, and like I've already said, I like John Travolta. So this section, I expected it to be when I would lose interest in the film, because I don't remember enjoying this all that much the first time I saw it. But I thought it was still pretty good. The dialogue is not as good, and I think Uma Thurman's character is a little annoying at times but she's also on coke so i think that's a fairly authentic thing but otherwise i I thought this section was i was surprised by how much i enjoyed this section
0: yeah whatever
1: (laughs) i take it you didn't enjoy this section as much
0: i mean i didn't dislike it it was it was fine i don't think i've seen uma thurman in anything else I don't have any feelings about her as an actress. I mean, sure. Her performance is fine. I think that her, I mean, this is the thing. This is the problem with this movie at large is that there the characters are really just vehicles for Quentin Tarantino to impress everyone with his allegedly impressive dialogue because they don't talk about anything of any real substance. They, they it's not like, you know, uh, what's her name? Mia. Mia doesn't really have a character. I mean, there are implications that maybe she's frustrated with the uh, vapid vacuousness of, uh, of, of life or that she feels sort of cloistered by her life with Marcellus and she wants to do interesting things, fun things with interesting slash fun people, but it never really goes anywhere. You know, it, it's all just... It's, it's the very definition of all sizzle, no steak. And don't get me wrong, the dialogue is sizzling. I understand why people love Tarantino's dialogue, why people eat it up. I just can't eat it up because to me, you know, it's all it, it's all sizzle. You can't eat sizzle. I'm I'm looking for the steak, but it's there it's just not there. Cuz they're talking about they're talking about her time uh, on the pilot. They're talking about how Mia thinks that people should be more comfortable with silence and and whatnot and you know that there, there there are times where Tarantino's insistence on style over substance in many of the same ways that what when we talked about nope I feel like it messed with the inter the movie's internal logic because right after um, Vincent and Mia arrive at what is it Jackrabbit slims isn't that the restaurant's name yeah
1: something
0: like that. Right after they arrive, it they they're standing together when Mia talks to the the restaurant person for her reservation and then it cuts to a a, a long take or a one of Vincent walking around the restaurant, you know, beholding all of the retro style or whatever. And Mia has just disappeared and she has to yell for him to get back to their table. And I was like, wait, what happened in between this cut? Like, did Vincent just sort of wander off? Was he no longer interested in sitting down to eat, you know? And for as stylistic as the restaurant undoubtedly is, I mean, it looks like a cool place. It's It's got race cars and it's got Zorro running around and Marilyn Monroe and whatnot. It it took me out of the movie, because I was like, wait, how did we get here? What happened?
1: Yeah, well, and I think this is, and I it's going to reappear in the next two sections, pretty much. That I think, as soon as you're not being entertained by a Tarantino movie, like you said, there's nothing left for you to really think about, right? Like, with other movies... Maybe it's not that entertaining, but it's still presenting maybe an interesting idea for you, an interesting maybe philosophical question or ethical question. Whereas Tarantino's movies are very commonly just if are just a pure roller coaster ride, I guess is a good way to kind of describe it, which isn't a bad thing because there's some movies I like that are just a roller coaster ride and I just enjoy the ride all the way through but it creates an issue because as soon as you're not enjoying the roller coaster ride, you're just sitting there. And then you have the space to like, you just demonstrated. Think what happened in that cut? Like that was a weird editing gaffe, or that was a weird mistake that just happened that it be as soon as it's not sizzling, you're just sitting there in front of an empty stove to continue that amazing steak metaphor. <laughs>
0: Well, first of all, that's a fairly common idiom. Uh, But second of all, I do appreciate that. I think that was good. And I think that's the perfect way to describe it. I I mean, I know that you, especially in the third John Wick movie, sort of fell off of it because the, the action is quite literally all those movies have, and it just wasn't enough to paper over the narrative cracks. And I think that the... That those kinds of movies, the John Wick movies of the world, are a very good analog uh, for Tarantino movies. That once, that it it bets so hard on its style um, that if it doesn't work for you, or when it doesn't work for you, that you're really just sort of staring at essentially a screen full of static.
1: And I think that comes into even more clear focus for me. I think, you know, we've talked about this section. There's not much to say here. Uh, In the third section is where... What?
0: I was just going to say, I've heard a lot of people talk about how intense they find the scene where they're trying to revive Mia. That it's like one of the most tense scenes uh, in movie history. It's like even more... uh, People uh, are apparently... Under the impression that Tarantino is really good at building tension, because I hear it all the time when talking about stuff like the scene where Brad Pitt goes to the ranch in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is tense because that movie sucks. And this the first, the very first scene in Inglorious, which is very, which is very tense and is very well constructed. But for this one, I was like, yeah, whatever. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I just wasn't. I was never, even when I really loved this movie, I wasn't really on the edge of my seat. So did, did it do anything for you?
1: No, I don't. I, even the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, sure. Like, I guess I wasn't that worried about anything happening because I didn't have all that compelling a reason to care. As well as like, I this is. I think this is also one of those movies that it's hard to uh escape the cultural impact that the movie has had right like there's no way to re-watch this as someone would have watched it in the 90s when it came out like there's no way to watch this not knowing what any of these things are as a, opposed to watching this and you've seen probably more than a few parodies of moments in this you've heard the dialogue said over and over so i think this is one of those movies that suffers from how inundated people are with stuff about this movie and so i think that's that like the tension i it's hard to watch it and not just be like oh it's pulp fiction and really get sucked in for me at least
0: yeah yeah i just don't care you know i i feel the same way that I would feel about you know if I just saw on the news a story about somebody who had almost overdosed, I would be like, "Oh, that's a shame, you know, that's that's sad, sad for that person." But I have no connection to that person, and I have no connection to Mia as a person. So I'm just like, "Yeah, yeah whatever." Yeah. And Mia is fictional, so it's so you know I don't even have the 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 empathy working of like, "Oh, uh, my fellow man is suffering." I'm like, oh, where, 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 where? yeah. That's how yeah. that's how I that's how I react to things in movies. That's why I, nobody likes watching movies with me because I'm always grunting quizzically. Yeah.
1: Anywho, speaking of not caring, though, uh, yeah. <laughs> the third section in this film is, I think, where I I it really loses me here in this section because it introduces a new. It doesn't introduce because we did get Butch earlier. But it's essentially a new character, and I don't care. And I think this is where we can maybe critique that I, I agree with what you said earlier, that there's no good reason for this movie to be nonlinear, and it doesn't help anything. It just feels weirdly paced. Like, we're over an hour into the movie, and he introduces a new person that we're supposed to care about, and I just don't. And especially his stupid French girlfriend is such a loser. and She annoys me. <laughs> as well as the dialogue is just not very good, in my opinion, in this the section. This section does not have as good dialogue and is just kind of weird. Like, I, I don't even know if I can call it bad. Like, it's okay, but it's just weird.
0: I mean, yeah, you've basically said everything I was going to say about this section. Um, for, for the record, I'd like to address the anonymous IMDb user who said that uh, in the trivia section for this movie, Nathan's making a wonderful face now, who said in the trivia section that no movie had been made like Pulp Fiction before, I'm assuming referring to using nonlinear storytelling. That is absolutely not true. That Pulp Fiction is not the beginning of non-linear storytelling in movies. Now, it may have popularized it, or it may have, you know, set off a big non-linear storytelling uh, what trend in movies. But there's no way, no one in the you know decades and decades of movies before Pulp Fiction thought to tell a story out of order. So consider yourself consider yourself scolded, anonymous IMDb user. Take
1: that. Uh, that's, that's funny. No. Well, and see, I was talking to a friend of mine today who he loves, a friend of the podcast, actually, Will Spaulding, who yes. was on in our Steve Jobs episode. Um, I was talking to him. He loves Pulp Fiction. And so I was kind of asking what, right, why he liked it. And he said how this was his first nonlinear film. And I think for a lot of people, this was probably their first or one of their first non-linear movies and so he was he said how he was just amazed at how all of it right came together or all of it right if you watch it again you can see stuff like oh they show up in different clothes at the end and they show why and blah 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 but i'm pretty sure i saw memento before i saw this and memento is a trip (laughs) so i and the whole time i was watching this i was like this is like baby's first non-linear because like you said it it's only non-linear because like (laughs) he pulls one chunk out and moves it that's it's barely more non-linear than just telling the story normally
0: wow we're we're on this we're on the exact same page here because yeah that is that that's i was just thinking about memento and like Memento is obviously told backwards, but it also has the black and white sections that are in a different timeline. You know, Memento is several leagues more intricate and carefully plotted than this movie. Because, yeah, like I said, this movie is only linear because he excises the one section and then moves it to the end. There's nothing else about it. So it's not, I I mean, I guess I don't want to make Will Spalding, you know an enemy of the podcast or anything but i i don't really see how anything really comes together i mean i guess yeah you understand why they're wearing different clothes when they go to give marcellus his briefcase but that's that's really it There's, there's 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 i don't see what this movie gains from 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 doing that and i think that You know, in all of the descriptions that I saw of this movie on the many different streaming services that I tried to watch it on, we don't need to get into that. Um, Everyone was talking about several different stories interwoven together, but they're really not. They're more like a bunch of stories that are, they're more like just four cars on the same highway. They're not really interwoven together. They just happen to be taking place in the same general vicinity. It's not like, it's not like, what I'm saying is, it's not like any of them have any real impact on any of the others. And in in introducing Bruce Willis, you know, it's not just that he introduces Bruce Willis, the Bruce Willis character, but he introduces a whole new backstory, a whole new relationship uh, between him and Marcellus, a whole new dynamic, a whole new objective, a whole new you know a whole basically a whole new introduction rising action climax falling action conclusion it's a whole new story structure and a i don't care about it because it's not all that interesting to me to be honest and B, I, you can't just you can't just slap a, a flashback of a tragic backstory onto a character and then say your job's done like no not really that's the definition of showing and not telling Like, and also, I agree, Nadia is very annoying. I did not like her very much.
1: (laughs) Yeah, although I will say, like, we shouldn't, we're not judging Pulp Fiction on the confusingness of its non-linearity. Like, Memento isn't better than Pulp Fiction because it's more confusing and harder to follow. But I think exactly what you said, like, this movie doesn't really gain that much by being nonlinear. It's not more interesting because it's nonlinear. Um, it's just slightly harder to follow. But again, well, it's yeah, like there's harder there's to follow if you're a child.
0: Okay, wow, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to count on that. But there's no big reveals or no big twists or th- nothing really is there. If you told this story normally, I don't think that you lose anything. Whereas, you know, if you tell the story of a memento normally, it's a fairly straightforward story about a guy looking for revenge. If you tell this story normally, it's basically the exact same story, except it's a bit easier to follow. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we're in agreement that this section doesn't necessarily kill the movie, but it's definitely the source of many of its woes.
1: Yeah, I will say uh, a joke that I've always really enjoyed and find very funny. Uh, And even this time I found it very humorous. Uh, Bruce Willis trying to decide what weapon to take back downstairs to kill the weirdos with and him getting like increasingly violent. Weirdos is a fairly
0: gentle word. I I would go with maybe like psychopaths
1: whatever the the villains uh I've always found the joke that joke kind of funny that he gets a hammer and then he's like, no, a bat and then a chainsaw and then a samurai sword that I just I find it humorous the escalation of both more and more goofy weapons and more and more like graphic weapons I,
0: don't I think a, I don't think a katana is more graphic than a chainsaw that would mess someone up
1: I know but it's it's goofier though
0: it is it is. No idea what it's doing there.
1: It's a pawn shop. They just they have to pawn it. It's this <laughs> Elliot. It's it's the samurai sword from Kill Bill. It's all the whole. It, all of his movies are connected.
0: Yeah, no, it's not anonymous. There was another anonymous IMDb user who explained in great detail why that could not be the case.
1: All right. Well, anywho, uh, let's get to the last sort of section before we get to the last. The actual last section. This one brings me back a bit just because it's Jules and Vincent again. And so I, I like them and I've. Oh, are you talking about the wolf? Yeah. The wolf section. Yeah. Well, and then the wolf section goes right into the final yeah. bit of yeah. the film.
0: It's not called the wolf. Uh, it's called like the, this one. the Bonnie, the Bonnie situation.
1: Yeah. Whatever. Who cares?
0: Well, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: But yeah, I like this section. I would agree this is the section that has the Tarantino cameo, and he is uh, not the best actor in the world, as well as his character is kind of annoying. Like, his character is kind of a twerp, or I kind of get the vibe of him being a twerp. And I don't know if that's just because I kind of get that vibe from Tarantino in general of him being a bit of a juvenile twerp. (laughs) Uh, No offense to the man, again, I don't know him personally. He just comes off that way in interviews. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I just have no reason to believe that he's not a twerp.
1: Yeah, but, um, I like the wolf. It's, oh shoot. I should know the actor Harvey
0: Harvey Keitel.
1: Yes. Um, I like the wolf, although honestly, uh, I don't see how he does anything that they couldn't like, he says, wash the car and then wash (laughs)
0: yourselves. Genius. (laughs) No wonder Jules was so relieved when he was sent in.
1: Well, like, it's not like he comes in with, like, a cleaning crew or, like, a bunch of guys to do it. Like, he just comes in and he's like, here's what you need to do. The two most obvious things possible. (laughs) And then, like, I guess he knew where to take the car to get the body and the car disposed of. But, like, couldn't Marcellus just, I don't know. It just, it's.
0: (laughs) Hey, this mess is a mess. You don't want anyone to see it. Let's clean it so no one sees it. Wow, thanks, Mr. Wolf.
1: Thanks, Mr. the Wolf. But otherwise, I think this section is a bit better, and uh, I find it a bit more funny. I like them arguing over the towels in the bathroom when Vincent washes, like, a bunch of blood off on a towel, and the other guy, and Jules gets pissed, and then um, the coffee discussion is kind of funny. But otherwise, yeah, it's... um, fairly, uh, meaningless sort of aside when it comes to the film.
0: Yeah, well, uh, so Tarantino is an extremely annoying human being. He has a very annoying face and a very annoying voice, uh, and I'm just saying that, yeah, t- this character is so annoying! Like, he's just, uh, I- I don't need you to come here and tell me how good my coffee is, okay? I buy when Bunny goes out and shops, she buys bad stuff. I buy good stuff cuz I want to taste my coffee. Shut up about the coffee. I mean, you even go on to say that it's not about the coffee. So why are you banging on about the coffee for pity's sake?
1: Wow, you're so it's so it's so unnecessarily aggressive. It's just a movie, bro.
0: I'm, well, it annoys me. It annoys me to also. Why? Why does Tarantino insist on I knew I using knew a very specific racial epithet? Like, why? Did... <sighs> Quentin Tarantino is a very annoying person.
1: Um. Anyway, I don't. Uh, I don't really see there's not much more to say about this section. Uh, clearly you Oh, I forgot it. I forgot we were actually
0: talking about the section. Yeah, the section's fine. I like Harvey Keitel. He's a very he's a he's a really good actor and he's very restrained and graceful in this and yeah, it's funny enough, I guess, that Vincent accidentally shoots Marvin in the face. Hilarious. Yeah, woohoo. Uh, uh,
1: I don't find that very funny at all personally. Uh,
0: Um, apparently according to anonymous IMDB user that's part of the comedy yeah
1: anyway this section leads right into the final section which is a continuation of the opening scene of the movie where two 'er ne'er-do-wells decide to rob a cafe and we discover in this final section that Vincent and Jules are at uh, the same cafe. I will say, I thought it was weird Whoa. that they cut. Well, see, it's not even a surprise because they cut to like they show them deciding to rob it again. I feel like it would have been much cooler if they just let you figure it out. And then when they announce their presence by saying, Oh, we're go- We're robbing the store. It would be a significantly more cool and like genuine, like whoa, it's the scene from the beginning. But instead, um, I guess he just doesn't have enough faith in his audience's intelligence, and so he shows the two Honey Bunny and whatever the guy's name is
0: Ringo, or whatever she calls.
1: I, oh yeah, Ringo. Yeah. Uh, it shows them, and it's even it's a repeat of a shot from the opening of the movie. So it is literally just, hey, by the way, this is the same cafe and I feel like it would have been much more effective to just spring it on the viewer. So I don't understand why he didn't uh, do that. Otherwise, what do you think of this this final section of the movie?
0: I don't know. I'm still annoyed about Tarantino's stupid cameo. <laughs>
1: um, well, then I guess I'll start.
0: No, 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 no. I really, I really like this scene. I think it's, I think it's really good. It's probably my favorite scene of the whole movie because it's, it's pulling on all the things that do work about this movie. Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, their characters, their chemistry together, um, dialogue that is actually, that does actually feel like it's necessary for it to go on as long as it does. Um, mm. I love how cool and collected uh, Jules is in this scene uh, and the way he manages to get a one-up on Ringo there and I really like the way he negotiates the situation trying to keep Yolanda calm and telling her to keep the gun on him and you know I it, allegedly he has a redemptive character arc in this movie not 100% sure if that's true or not but if it is true this is a good example of that. Yeah, I really like this scene. I think that this is reasonably tense and I do like the way Jules is trying to negotiate his newfound I guess religion or belief in something um by he's you know this is the, his first step in walking away from the life. And also, just for the record, that verse that he quotes that's totally made up. Like there part of it is real, but the first part the about, you know, Whatever it is, I can't remember. The first part is made up, uh, because I looked Mm. it up after it was done. So, yeah, I don't know what that's about. That's weird. Surely.
1: Surely it wouldn't be that hard to find a verse like that. I mean, it's an Old Testament verse. There's tons of verses like that about God's fury, so I don't under... Whatever.
0: Um, I, I got nothing.
1: Yeah, I do think Jules represents maybe the only sort of thematic heft that the movie has. And I think you could make a case as to all of the stories kind of displaying a certain kind of lackadaisical nature and how Jules is the only character to kind of recognize that and then take steps to move out of that. And we kind of see how the, how that nature will end, right, with Vincent dying uh, fairly anonymously on the toilet, And
0: you mean ignominiously,
1: whatever, ignominiously, I I took a shot, (laughs) but I I think there's a case to be made there for that. And so I find that somewhat interesting. And yeah, I like this scene. I think it's well-written. I like Samuel L. Jackson in it. It's a neat little capper um, to the movie.
0: Yeah, it's good. Um, Can I just say, I just want to address one last anonymous IMDb user on the trivia section.
1: No more reading IMDb before we do... I don't need this to become just a diatribe against anonymous IMDb users. Well,
0: this is is part of a substantive uh, argument about the movie, because the briefcase... I feel like I should care what's in it, like it should be some big mystery or some like intriguing thing that's left up to the viewer's imagination, but I don't. Because it never comes up again. There's no implication of what it might be other than it's pretty, and honestly, if it's left up to my interpretation, I'm perfectly happy for it to just be a flashlight that somebody forgot to turn off.
1: Yeah, well, I think, and I read some reviews that talked about how this movie is postmodern in the sense that it, um, pretty much plays exclusively on archetypes and uh, cliches. Okay.
0: Archetypes. What is an archetype? Like a type of what an ever? arch?
1: <laughs> oh, ha, ha, ha. so funny, Elliot. Whatever. <laughs> But, and I think the suitcase is indicative of that because it's like the mulligan's mulligan. Like it is the epitome of a meaningless object that characterizes the
0: mulligan. What's a
1: mulligan? Oh, shoot. What's it called? Not you a
0: mean mulligan. a MacDuffin? What? Yes, <laughs> mcduffin. What's going on? Are you feeling all right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm actually having a stroke currently. <laughs>
0: oh, that sucks. Somebody should probably do oh, something about that.
1: sorry. MacGuffin. Wow, that is, yeah. But it's it's like the MacGuffin's MacGuffin. Like it's so, like you said, it's so meaningless and undefined by its nature. Like most MacGuffins are fairly just pie in the sky sort of things. And this is like the ultimate uh, encapsulation of it. That's not the right word, but I'm not searching harder for it the epitome of that sort of idea, basically.
0: Well that's great. But I'm yeah, pretty sure it's just it's I'm pretty sure it's just a flashlight.
1: Well yeah. But um and I think a lot of the reviews I read for this movie got incredibly pretentious incredibly fast about postmodernism and humanity and pop culture and I was like, dang, I really don't care that much. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's pretty much the whole uh, the whole film. Uh I don't know there's not much else to say. I mean, on a technical level, there's not much in terms of a score, a score to discuss. Uh there's a soundtrack, but I wasn't born in the 40s, so I don't care about any of the music he plays. and um the cinematography is okay i already mentioned the only shot that i think is kind of neat otherwise i guess the editing is weird i don't like how many times he fades to black because i think it's kind of a goofy thing i don't think it's a visual uh, motif that's aged very well and so whenever i see it in movies i kind of roll my eyes at it um Basically, if you ever do anything goofy with the camera, I roll my eyes. You know, Dutch angle, fade to black, the ridiculous uh, <laughs> fade outs in Star Wars. Very
0: <laughs> the wipes.
1: Yep, the wipes. <laughs> uh, what about you? Any closing thoughts before we uh, give a, a numerical or letter alphabetical grade to this film?
0: No, I'm done talking about this movie.
1: All right, uh, I'll give a number. It's, uh, I'd say about a 6.8. I think it's kind of grown on me uh, just thinking about it since I watched it on Wednesday and I enjoyed it more than I expected to. So it's a serviceable film, but I really, I don't get the hype behind it. I don't, I told Will when we were talking about this, that some movies like Fight Club or like Goodfellas, uh, that are like, oh, this is such a classic. I can see why people feel that way. Pulp Fiction, don't get the hype behind it. I don't see it that much. So it's a pretty good movie. It's not fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't have a whole lot to, I don't have anything to add to what I've said already. There are things about this movie that I, I definitely like, things that are good, some things that are legitimately great. Not a whole lot of them, but, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's performance is great. I love the final scene. There are moments where the dialogue really does work for me. And like I said, it's a, it's definitely an entertaining movie. But uh, the structure is needlessly convoluted. The characters are basically non-existent, or the development is basically non-existent. I really dislike the way it inserts a whole other story into the middle of this story. I think that really... Uh, really hurts the movie, so I'm at a C plus. I know when I tried to rush this along, I was at a B minus earlier in the episode, but I've talked myself down to a C plus. So,
1: all right, well, uh, let's. I see this is the great part about having recommendations at the end. Now we get to talk about movies we like. So I'll go first. Um, I'm going to recommend In Bruges which is a Martin McDonough movie. We've talked about him before. He's got a new movie out uh, right now, Banshees of Anishirin, and we're being paid to mention it in every episode of the podcast. So there, we're mentioning it again. Uh, But this is his uh, second movie, first or second, I want to say, one of his earlier films. And it's just really fantastic. And the reason I'm recommending this is it's got a lot of the same very snappy dialogue It's not an incredibly violent movie, but it's a very uh, graphic in its depiction of violence, which I think is some shared DNA, as well as I think it's also about Hitmen, which is interesting, but it's just a really funny movie with Colin Farrell and Brandon Gleason, who are also in Banshees. Uh, They're fantastic in this. And I don't want to say too much about the plot because I think like a lot of Tarantino movies, I think one of the things he's best at is he makes movies that you can't tell how they're going to end from the beginning, or at least you'd be hard pressed to say exactly how they end from the beginning. And I think In Bruges is, definite, is very much like that. There's a lot of twists and turns. It's a fun time. Uh, I love the movie. And More people should see it. So that's my recommendation.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen that movie, but I do really want to because I've really, really enjoyed both of the Martin McDonough movies I've seen. I've, I want to see more of what he's done, so I can't speak to that. But my recommendation, I went more stylistic in terms of the link between my movie and this movie. Uh, I went for something that's very, well, not very, but more on the lurid side, uh, something that's kind of grimy, uh, kind of pulpy. Uh Less so pulpy, but I went with The Departed, which is a Martin Scorsese movie, uh, an American remake of a Japanese movie I think called Infernal Affairs, which is a hilarious pun. Um, yeah, this movie, like Pulp Fiction, it's there's it's got a lot of stuff about organized crime. It's a mob movie, as is Scorsese's bread and butter. Um, this is probably my favorite of Scorsese's mob movies that I've seen. Uh, I think that it's much more substantive than Pulp Fiction because, like like all of Scorsese's mob movies, it's about a sort of Shakespearean rise and fall. Um, it's about the destructive, the initial appeal and eventual destructive nature of the kind of lifestyle that these people live, uh, like we saw in Goodfellas and in this one. Also, it's got Jack Nicholson in it. He's fantastic. I really like him in this movie. It, everyone is. There's a lot of really good actors in this movie. Um, Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Martin Sheen, uh, Alec Baldwin, and uh, Mark Wahlberg. You know, if they're your thing, they're here. So have fun with that. But yeah, I really like this movie, and it is. It's it's definitely not afraid to shy away from the seamier grimier side of its subject matter but I think that unlike Pulp Fiction there is there's a point to it
1: that is a good movie I do have to say Infernal Affairs I'm pretty sure is a Hong Kong movie mm. not Japanese
0: there you go um,
1: so that's one correction from me and I think it was like <laughs> five or six <laughs> from you now,
0: let me just consult my, my tally here <laughs>
1: uh yeah so uh, man,
0: sausage, what a what a dis- what a disappointment this movie was! It was really hard to watch it. It's a bit like life, you know. It's just life is hard, and there's it's full of disappointments. You know, you know yeah. what I'm saying?
1: Uh, sure. I don't think you should take one bad movie or one media. It's not even a bad movie. One mediocre movie as uh, an indicator of the overall quality of life. Uh, we do apologize for disappointing anyone who was. Uh, desperately waiting for this episode on friday hopefully the next episode yeah, that's, will that's be... that was
0: my fault it's uh it's uh it's been a it's been a busy start to the semester so uh
1: hopefully the next episode is going to be out on time um otherwise uh hope you enjoyed this and yeah we still don't know how to end episodes so <laughs> goodbye <laughs>